Welcome to Darts in the Dark podcast. We talk about branding, marketing, communication, and sustainability. And through our conversations with leading voices throughout business and culture, we help shed light on how to move your audience to take meaningful action for your business and the planet. Welcome to Darts in the Dark. My name is Casey Hogue. I hear a lot about climate anxiety and frustration on what an individual can do. There's a lot of wish cycling out there and people trying to offset their carbon footprint. I'm doing air quotes there which by the way was a marketing campaign created in 2004 by British Petroleum to shift the onus from big oil and corporations to individuals. So what can we as individuals and families do to truly make a difference? To get some answers, I went to one of the few people I know of who actually have some solutions to this. Andy Behar is the CEO of As You So, a nonprofit organization dedicated to corporate accountability and increased environmental and social change through corporate engagement, shareholder advocacy, and innovative legal strategies. I haven't come away from a conversation more empowered to take action in quite a while. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Andy Behar. Andy, how are you today? Doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. Excited to chat with you. I know this is the 30th anniversary of As You Sow, 30 years in business. That's super exciting. Do you have any insight into what was going on 30 years ago that inspired the, the creation of, of the organization? Yeah, back in 1992, when Tom Van Dyke uh, founded As You Sow, it was really founded to be a plaintiff doing uh, what's called Proposition 65 was passed in the state of California that allowed people to uh, bring lawsuits with companies that had carcinogens and reproductive toxicants in their products. So as you saw was the plaintiff in a lot of these cases. So for instance, formaldehyde and toluene in nail polish, a lead in all kinds of things. I mean, we still do these cases to this day. We just actually uh, just published a report about a month ago about uh, lead and cadmium in chocolate that was the result of a settlement with about 90% of the world's uh, chocolate manufacturers. So we are doing that. We're working now on just got a group of companies to reformulate uh, food that you are fed if you're in a coma in a hospital, which is also full of lead and cadmium. But the companies are all reformulating it. So that it was, it was always founded to do that work. And what happened is we started to get some settlements from that. And we realized, you know, we're interacting with these big companies well, maybe we should interact with them on different issues as well. So sustainability, environmental health is really what As You So was founded to do. We later expanded it to when I started in 2010 to include uh, climate change, energy, um, and then racial justice, diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, excessive CEO pay, and all the different social issues. Right. Well, I had no idea about chocolate. That's news to me. Because you said lead and cadmium. Has that been hidden? I mean, is that widely known? That seems kind of scary. Uh, we did a lot of publicity about it. Not a lot of people wanted to read about it because I think, especially during COVID, uh, chocolate was the last safe place for people to go. It's a 400-page report that took three years of research and was funded by industry to actually figure out why there is lead and cadmium in chocolate. And it's actually relatively uh, simple. The lead is not in the cacao itself. It's actually from the environment. So when they harvest these cacao, these pods, and they scrape out the beans, they're covered with this white gooey stuff. It looks like Elmer's glue. And then they put them out on the roadside, literally on the road or on the ground. And from coal-fired utilities, leaded gasoline, uh, they're just incinerators, 
that the lead particles just stick to the outside of the bean. And so we realized we could actually reduce the lead by 50% just by cleaning the beans. Um, so not, not no magic, just nobody ever looked at it. And that's something that as you so did. That's fascinating. So are those practices that are starting to be implemented? I mean, is that basically from your report? Are they starting to listen and follow suit? Well, we've, uh, we're now negotiating with all of the companies. There's a group of chocolate companies that represent about 90% of the world's chocolate. And we're now in conversations with them about how to implement this, the timing of implementation, because they also want to reduce it. They want to make a safer product. And also the European Union is changing their requirements around cadmium. So they're going to have to do this stuff anyway. It's a whole trend toward reducing toxicity in, in the food system. Wow. Well, definitely going to be staying tuned to that. <laughs> That's really good to know. So following your career, you've been at As You So since 2010. Right. You're an author. You're also on the advisory board for the One Earth Institute, as well as the Real Impact Tracker. What sort of started your career path to champion all of these amazing things? I've always been concerned about the environment. Uh, I guess it really started in depth uh, when I had children and um, started working on some, there was a political a ballot initiative in California called Big Green. And I ended up becoming a precinct captain. So I was you know, pushing a carriage with, I had three little boys and um, go knocking on people's doors and just talking about environmental health and the effect on the kids. And so that has always been really a deep concern of mine. I moved to another town in California and the, there was a big company that was trying to build a a toxic uh, a dump, a big uh, a waste dump right on top of a, a low-income community that was right at the mouth of the valley where we lived, which would have also just destroyed our air. So I learned a lot about organizing by my wife and myself and a bunch of our friends organized the, the whole town to actually fight this company. Waste management's the largest waste hauler in the United States. And it took five years and three different attempts, but eventually they realized this was not smart. And what we ended up doing is actually starting a whole recycling plan for the county. We showed the county that they didn't need any more places to put the waste if people started to compost and started to recycle. And it became one of the reasons that California and that you know Ventura County ended up you know, shifting in that way. So I saw the power that corporations have. And I also saw the decision-making mechanisms within the corporations. And so when I arrived at As You Sow, I was initially brought in as a consultant to write a strategic plan for them in 2010. And so when the board read the plan, they asked me to stay on and become the CEO. And part of that was my just deep belief in our theory of change, that when you get a big company to shift policies and practices, it ripples through their entire supply chain. It ripples through all their employees, all their customers. Literally, you could touch millions of people with one decision. And if that decision-making process was also good for the company, well, then you got a win-win and then you got a much easier conversation. So what As You So does, it starts with a lot of research. We do deep research. We have real issue experts on areas uh, ocean plastics and on pesticides and on antibiotics in meat, on racial justice, on DEI. We just published a report linking executive compensation to emissions on, uh, on net zero, on climate change. So we built this expertise and we publish reports. And then we sit down with a company and go, look, 
you just scored a five on racial justice. Your direct competitor scored a 22. Here's the three things they're doing that you are not. And here's the cost of doing them. Here's the ROI, the return on investment of making this transition. But here's the risk of doing nothing. And the companies would consider it and they go, yeah, this actually makes sense. This is not expensive. This would be great for our brand. This would be good for all of our stakeholders. And so last year we had an engagement with 196 companies. About half of them said, wow, this is great. Thank you guys. You're like McKinsey for free. Let's go get stuff done. 99 of them said, well, we're not ready to make the change yet. So we escalated by filing what's called a shareholder resolution. It's a 500 word document that's filed six months in advance of the annual meeting. And then every shareholder gets to read it, consider it and vote. So we filed 99 of those. Once we did, about half of those companies said, you know, maybe we do want to get going on this. And we withdrew them. The company agreed to terms. The other ones that went to a vote, we had 10 majority votes, including a 91% vote at Boeing, a 95% vote at Caterpillar, so big companies. And we had a 41% average vote and about $2 trillion worth of assets were voted on our resolution. So it gives us a seat at the table now with these companies to go, hey, you know, we just got a 90%, 90% of your shareholders think this is a good idea. What do you think? And the, the votes are non-binding. The company doesn't have to do it, but generally they will. So that's how we, that's how we operate. That is our theory of change. And it's, it's quite effective. But the bottom line is we're sitting shoulder to shoulder with the company figuring out how to address material risk. That is where true change happens, right? With the people driving the change, whether they're shareholders, consumers. I'd like actually like to hear a little bit more about the reports that you do and those conversations you have with the companies. So you said essentially you're like McKinsey for free. So what does that engagement look like? You come in, you do all the research beforehand and then present that to the company and there's no cost associated with that? So we're a nonprofit. We're a 501c3. So we're funded through foundation grants. We, we write probably 50, 60 grant applications every year, and we are funded by uh, generally family foundations who have a mission that's aligned with ours. So it might be a family foundation that is very concerned about ocean plastics or very concerned about racial justice or gender equality. So they, they fund us. And so then we go do our research into defining what are these key performance indicators, these measurements, and make sure that the companies actually agree that these are important. Because to get them to buy into uh, a, a structure of measuring themselves is what's really important. So we're always adapting the KPIs. We're working with the companies. We're listening to feedback from you know from the system and from the world. And we're and again we're always adjusting them. In fact, we just added uh, just today um, we're adding a new KPI to the racial justice. We have twenty six key performance indicators. When we release the new version in about a month, it'll have twenty seven. So we're we're always evolving. We're always getting better at it. So there's a fundamental core research that companies really appreciate. It's a view that they might not see themselves because as shareholders, we are, well, the board reports to us. A board has the job of setting strategy and incentivizing the employees to execute the strategy, but ultimately they report to the shareholders. So their oversight, we're, we have oversight of the board. And so it's a responsibility when you own shares of a company that you take on. That means if, you, if you're owning equities, if you own 100 shares of Apple or whatever you know, the company is. But people also own 
partial shares of companies through mutual funds. A mutual fund is a basket of stocks. So it could be uh, 500 stocks or 1,000 stocks are in this, and you own shares of the aggregate. But you also have rights if you own shares in a mutual fund. And knowing what's in your mutual fund is very, very important. We developed a whole platform called Invest Your Values, and you can find it at investyourvalues.org. And you can look inside what is actually in 3,000 mutual funds, which fossil fuel companies, which coal-fired utilities, which companies that are burning down the Indonesian or Amazon rainforest, which companies that are profiting from private prisons, from mass incarceration, or weapons. So it's important for people to actually make sure that their investments are aligned with their values, because otherwise what happens, and, and this is for the most part, this is what is happening right now, that people want to have a world, a livable planet to retire into. They want to have, and, and that that means that it's a world of that's based on justice and sustainability. But most of the time in these mutual funds and most company retirement plans and pension funds are just full of what we call the extractive economy. So you have this cognitive dissonance of profiting from your own destruction. And people wonder like, why do I have this feeling? Well, it's because Every time these, these private prisons are making money, you are getting some of that, but your value set is around justice. And you know you want to deal with climate change, but you're profiting from companies that are burning down the Amazon rainforest. So knowing about this is the first step, which is why a lot of our work is to just shine a bright light. And if you go to investyourvalues.org, you'll see what I mean. You can type in any mutual fund and you will see everything about it. So transparency is number one, and then getting people to understand that they have this incredible amount of power that they generally abdicate, uh, that they don't even, they abdicate it before they even know they have power. But you've got the power to, well, first of all, shift your investments into into funds and into companies that are aligned with your values. And then if you actually own the companies, vote, vote your proxies. So, and there's many, many layers in between that, but people are just have this massive power, but they don't know how to use it. And that's part of what, as you said, mission is, is to educate them. That's super exciting. I think, you know, investing your values, ESGs is part of that, right? And just knowing where your investment dollars are going. And I think on the other side of it just as being a conscious consumer, right? Um, You're investing in these companies, but you're also purchasing these goods and services, which one way of looking at it is every dollar you purchase something is a vote for that company. So it's sort of from the consumer side and the investment side. No, no, No question about it. But if you become aware of a company's racial justice score and what it's doing on climate change, and that affects your purchasing decisions, that sends a signal also. Uh, here's an example. So we were working a few years ago, uh, General Mills, big, big company, but they were having problems in their supply chain. Climate-induced superstorms were washing away all the soil in industrial ag. Right. So we started to talk to them. We said, well, we should really look at regenerative agriculture. And they did. And we did a lot of research together. And essentially what they came up with was that the regenerative ag, which means cover crops, rotating you know, rotating your fields, essentially practices that have been around for 10,000 years, that when there's a climate-induced superstorm, the land's going to be able to hold much more water. The soil won't be washed away. The farm can actually deliver the goods. And so in order to have a resilient supply chain, General Mills 
has signed a pledge that they're going to transition their entire supply chain to regenerative ag. Again, it's because it's good for business. Now, what happened? Well, investors said, well, they're going to be much more able to deliver their cookies and their crackers and stuff. So I want to invest with them because they've got a management team that's actually assessing risk, making adjustments. So they're a better management team. So they started getting more investment. Well, all the other food companies looked and went, what's going on here? And two years later, we did a report in 2019 called Pesticides in the Pantry. We did it again in 2021. 12 of the 20 major companies all were shifting toward regenerative ag, uh, also shifting toward pesticide reduction. Why? Because their customers didn't want to be eating carcinogens and they voted with their dollars. So you see that shift and that company and, and Kellogg actually also signed a pledge that they would remove glyphosate or Roundup from their entire supply chain. So what this says is that there is a an emerging economy based on justice and sustainability. People want to put their money into that the extractive economy is winding down. This new economy is flourishing. And that market force is such a it's such a powerful force. It's like a tsunami that's happening. And so there's a lot of not a lot. There's a few people in the that are we call them regressives who are trying to hold back these market forces mm-hmm. that are uh, There's a whole lot of rhetoric around anti-ESG. Well, ESG, environmental, social, and governance, is just a framework for assessing risk. That's all it is. It's just saying when I'm investing, I want to invest in a management team that's looking at their supply chain and going, oh, okay, if I'm you know making cookies or bread – I want to make sure I have a resilient supply chain. A company that isn't going to be looking, assessing risk, they're probably not going to be in business very long. So I want my money with the companies that are going to stay in business. That's all it is. It's, it's really it's really relatively business 101. But you're hearing a lot of noise about it that really is misguided. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes against the classic narrative of shareholder value and, you know, extract as much profits as possible and, you know, the world be damned. And I think people are starting to vote with their dollars more and more. And I think, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot and think about a lot is we're no longer in the 50s and 60s where there's two different TV channels and three cereals and two types of toothpaste. I mean, the dispersion of products and services has just, you know, exponentially grown and people now have choices in the companies that have ESG sustainability woven into their business model. Then people get to vote with, you know, with their values and say, look, this company aligns with my values. I'm going to go with them. And these ones don't. And to your point, it's at their peril. I mean, it's affecting their bottom line. And until they weave the triple bottom line business model of people and planet, in addition to profits, um, I feel like that's, uh, would you say, extractive business models are sort of on their way out, right? Well, well, the the real shift is, you you mentioned this whole idea of of shareholder primacy, of do anything to to make as much money as possible, abuse your employees, have slavery in your supply chain, dump in the commons. That whole idea, those Milton Friedman ideas, were really overturned just just recently. Uh, The Business Roundtable, they came out with a new purpose of a corporation in late 2019. And what they said is that you need to consider all stakeholders. You need to consider your employees, your community where you operate, your supply chain, and your customers, that that makes the most profitable company. The World Economic Forum, a few months later in January, they came out with a manifesto and said that this transition that's happening right now is the fourth industrial age, that this is a shift that is on the scale of the industrial revolution. And that's what we're seeing play out. 
they also talked about stakeholder capitalism almost identically to what the business roundtable had laid out. So this new philosophy of business is what we're seeing being implemented now. And the companies who are actually implementing it more uh, skillfully and more rapidly are the ones who are benefiting and who are benefiting from both customers and investors. And that's what is defining this new economy. So the resistance to it, it's really futile because it's just, you can't fight market. It's like trying to fight the industrial revolution. Like these are the folks who would be saying, no, we need to continue to make more uh, buggy whips. And, you know, no, we do not want, uh, you know, to transform. We don't want to use, we want to use canals. We don't want to use trains. Those folks went out of business. So that's what you're seeing. And that's now it happens to be the oil companies that, realize that they are going to be winding down, that nobody wants their product anymore, that the internal combustion engine is all but obsolete, that you know China, India, California, they're all shifting to 100% electric vehicles. So there really is no need for to bring any more you know, fossil fuels uh, you know, up from the ground. It's, um, this is the transition we're in. It's, um, it's a big one. It is. And it's it's super exciting to hear you lay things out. So in such a optimistic way, I feel like you watch TV and you doom scroll social media and the narrative doesn't seem to align with the trajectory that I feel like we're going. How do we shift that? Obviously, as you so is on the forefront of those narrative shifting initiatives in your world. How do you parse those two things? Like it's lots of doom and gloom and people have climate anxiety. Yet the reality is that things are are getting better and companies are doing better and they realize that consumers want better businesses and practices, right? So what's your take on that? People need to understand that they have power. And when they do, there is going to be this mass shift. We're seeing, we're just at the very beginning of it. We're at the cusp of this massive shift. You know, I mentioned like a tsunami. We're kind of at the, it it was a ripple that became a wave and now it's starting to really build. But it's going to take everybody realizing that they have this incredible amount of power and to actually use it. People have to realize that everybody, there's 100 million people with $10 trillion in corporate retirement plans who are essentially still invested in the extractive economy and are absolutely blind to that fact. Having this conversation with you is really important because you are an influential person who can talk to people and you can say, Use your power. When you get a few people at a corporation to go, you know, I don't want to be investing this way. They go onto our website, investyourvalues.org, and they click on action. We have an action toolkit. The first thing they'll do is download a letter that they can template, that they can bring to HR, to, to their human resources, and say, there's nothing in my 401k plan I can invest in. Well, 10 people do that. HR has got to change, means money starts to shift. It means more money starts to shift. They talk to their friends. It becomes, it's got to become a movement. People have to say, I am powerful and this is how I'm going to use my power. And the power is in their money. The power is in their ability to control that and to align it with their values. People are very clear about their values. We've done a lot of surveys. 99% of millennials want to invest sustainably, 80% of women and 72% of people overall. Yet they're all investing unsustainably. And we believe by showing them, shining a bright light on this, that they'll go, okay, it's time. And they'll start to use their power. And that is where the capital will shift and the companies will shift and the market is already moving in that direction. 
So that's what gives me optimism, honestly, is is that it's we have we can control this and it's it's absolutely in the hands of the vast majority of people. There's a tiny minority of just a few people who are yelling really, really, really loud and they've managed to buy and very big megaphones. So it seems like they're louder and bigger than they are, but it's a tiny group of people that want to have, uh, that want to continue to not have a livable planet. It's just, it's just a tiny few, you know, they, they feel like their control is being questioned. And so anyway, that, that's, that's why I am optimistic because every day people want to know about this, want to see, take action, and there are actually ways to do it. It is so exciting. Sort of juxtapose the the, the doom scrolling versus the reality that uh, things are shifting and there's nothing really they can do about it. People want these things, and it's great to speak to people like yourself and be reminded that this is real. Progress is happening. We should have an optimistic worldview, right? So you've been called an eco rock star, an environmental maverick at times. What's it like being an eco rock star? Not that I've ever heard that one before, but uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I don't think of myself like that. I I know my my staff at the staff at As You Sow, the people who work at As You Sow, they are the rock star. They're the folks who are doing the research, who are talking to these companies, who are writing these reports, who are actually just in the weeds, making these change on a on such a granular level that it, that it, it aggregates up into something. So I just am honored to be working with this team and. That, that's what gets me, you know, you know, jumping out of bed in the morning because there's just there's a lot to do. And but I think we have a really a winning strategy and and the moment and we have momentum. So that's how I respond to that. And I, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I love it. Um, so the work that you're doing in your team is doing as you so. And obviously you're involved in many different organizations. What's the most optimistic or exciting thing you see in the next five years coming down the pipe? So there's a merging of a lot of these issue areas because they are really intertwined. So an example is climate change and racial justice becomes environmental justice, that working on that issue, on the fact that the that communities of color, that, that the poorest communities are being dumped on by the largest companies. Mm. That is an issue that needs to be addressed. So justice layered with environment, justice layered with agriculture, pesticides. Well, pesticides are bad because we're all eating carcinogens, but they're also spraying on farm adjacent communities. It's the merging of, of these issues. It's looking at the entire supply chain of petrochemicals from a fracking well that goes all the way through pipelines that are leaking methane, that are going to a petrochemical plant that's then dumping all kinds of toxic emissions onto these communities and then creating plastics that then get disposed of in the ocean. But you look at that entire supply chain and you go, we don't need any of it. Really working on that. Like, how do you wind down this industry that has got so much control and also controls the government? That's the other thing, is that the industry groups that spend billions and billions of dollars to own all of these people that say that they're representing citizens and are actually not. They're actually just just for sale. It's dismantling that whole uh, infrastructure that is, again, leading to an unlivable planet and incredible injustice. I believe that the mass majority, vast majority, 
of people want to have justice and sustainability. It's a matter of us finding our power, finding our will, and then making the changes. These structures were created by humans. They can be changed by humans. Uh, that's, that's what's happening. That is what I see happening is that there is organizing this power and letting the shift happen. The shift is, it's like, the, like I say, these market forces are happening. It's a matter of, you know, can we create this glide path into this new paradigm? Yeah, that's really exciting to hear. Tell us what's the best way to engage for the listeners out there. How do we get a hold of you as you sow? Obviously, investyourvalues.org. How do, how do we participate? You start by looking in the mirror. Look in the mirror and say, okay, I am powerful. I have a huge amount of power. Now, make a list. What are those? Well, I work at a company. I've got a 401k plan, so therefore I control all of this money, what's actually inside it? Do I own companies that are out of alignment with my values? Do I own, you know, cluster munitions, landmines, private prisons, and deforestation? You do, by the way. If, you, if you're in a corporate retirement plan, you do. Understand that. Look at it. And actually just like look at it on the screen and go, okay, that's me. That's, is that what defines me? What am I going to do? I'm going to talk to my friends and my peers, and I'm going to ask them to do the same thing. Look in the mirror. Does that reflect you? Download our action toolkit. Well, first of all, if you have a sustainable fund in your plan, shift some of your money there. I can tell you in the Amazon plan, they have one sustainable fund. It only has 2% of the assets, and it outperforms the other fund, the target date fund, by five percentage points. So you will make more money also. Um, Just at Amazon employees, you can do that, take you under 30 seconds. Download the, the, the template letter, get your friends to sign it, bring it to HR. Uh, we've been filing resolutions at Amazon and they say, we're not hearing anything from our employees. Nobody wants to change. That's because you haven't used your voice. This is an opportunity at every company. We're doing this at Microsoft and at Campbell's and at Comcast and any company, every company needs to look at this. Then go look at your company itself. Go go on our, go on as you sow, sow.org. Look at the racial justice scorecard for your company. We're doing the whole, we have the whole Russell 1000. Look at your diversity, equity, inclusion. Look at your plastics. Look at your climate change. Look at all the scores for your company and say, is this what I want? And go talk to management and say, it's, I want to do something else. Because here's the thing. Management knows that employees who are engaged, who believe in the mission of their company are so much more productive. They're going to want to do it just to increase productivity. It's going to be a win-win for the company and for you. These are just a few things you could do just in the first week of realizing you have power and then do the, do your homework and say, look at the sports teams that you, that you care about. Look at their carbon footprint. Send them a letter. You go into a restaurant. You know, every company that, that you're working with, uh, that, that you spend money at, make sure it's the one that's getting the highest scores. And if it's not, if you're going to switch from Nikes to Adidas, send Nike a letter and say, I'm switching because your carbon footprint is more than Adidas and you get a lower racial justice score. They will change. I swear to God, 10 letters like that, they will change. Publish it. Write an op-ed about it. Why you changed. Do a blog about it. Tweet about it. I just changed. I've always worn Nikes. Now I'm wearing Adidas and here's why. It is amazing. They will respond in hours. They will see that and they will literally freak out. Takes, that takes a little bit of effort. But I've got to say, at the end of doing those five or six things I just said, you're going to feel like you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to go, I am totally pumped. 
because I have power. I've just, I've just flexed my muscle for the first time and then do it again the next day. Incredible how much power people have that they don't understand and that they abdicate without even understanding they have it. Yeah. Well, I'm pumped up, Andy. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm super excited to uh, continue to follow along. Really appreciate your time today. Um, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Darts in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like, subscribe, and share our content. The goal of this podcast is to amplify the voices of businesses, organizations, and individuals enacting true change and impact. If you know someone you think would be a great guest on our show, please let us know. We're always looking for the next great conversation to share. Thank you. Thank you.